In 2014, there were some researchers in China who were conducting a study on social media trends and trying to find connections between what we uh, share and what goes viral, as we say, online, and our emotions. Uh, it was at Beihang University in Beijing, and these researchers were really trying to figure out what emotions do we have about the things that we share that make them most likely to be shared by our friends online, right? And they found that, for instance, sadness is a really bad motivator. Uh, when people feel down about something or sad, they tend not to share it that much. But um, disgust, uh, being disgusted by something, not much better. Joy is a pretty good motivator when people are happy uh, about what's happening. But nothing, almost nothing, gets our blood pumping as much as anger. Anger inspires us to hit that share button more than almost anything else. And it doesn't just spread through our social media feeds. Um, it also spreads through us. There was another study, same year, 2014, this time at Princeton University. The researchers there, they watched over 700,000 Facebook users, tracked their data, and they wanted to, to, to see what kinds of posts, same kind of thing, what, what kinds of posts did people interact with and how did they respond? What they found was that um, they, they could modify and alter the things that these users were seeing on their Facebook pages. And as they changed their pages to, to be full of more negative posts and comments from friends and family, um, they found that these users were actually in turn posting and writing uh, more negatively and angrily as a result. And this might seem like common sense, right? That our emotions are are determined in large part by who we surround ourselves with, but, but like the common cold, anger appears to be contagious, not for only what we share, but also how we feel, right? Anger can be contagious in this internet age. In fact, I got to conduct my own little small study. I posted on Facebook on Friday, um, what are you angry about today? Just asking all of my friends and my network, what are you angry about today? No answer too big or too small. And I got over 70 comments, which never happens unless I post a picture of my daughter or something and people are telling me how cute she is. No one really cares that much about my Facebook, but I got over 70 comments. And what I want to say about it is, you know, some of them were admittedly smaller than others, right? Some folks were mad about being stuck at the DMV, which certainly is you know, makes you angry in the moment, but not like a cosmic issue. But there were a lot that were really serious too. And, and there are things that we're angry about that really matter. Um, people angry about um, children who are hurt or about uh, women who are abused or angry about manipulative bosses who are ruining their lives and making them fear for their work or um, people who are angry about uh, disease and cancer and the ravages of, of those things. Um, and what I want to say as we start today is that um, I'm not going to preach a message about how anger is bad and we should all just stop being angry. Because the reality is there's a lot of things that inspire anger in us and, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay to be angry about many of the things that I just listed. And I'm sure you're angry about some of those things, maybe this very morning. But I also know that anger isn't the be all, end all answer, and I think that our faith and our Savior has something to say on the subject. 
And so I want us to ask this really big question today as a part of this message as we get started. The question is this, how can my faith help me understand my anger? How can my faith help me understand my anger? And so today we're going to turn our attention to a scene in Scripture where Jesus himself is wrestling with a really bad bout of anger. And it comes to us, if you want to follow along, in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. You can find it there in the pews in your, uh, or Bibles in your pews or on your phone. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. This is a, a passage I'm sure you've read before if you've come to church with any frequency, and yet it's one that I think we should talk about today, hopefully in a new way but this is, this is an angry Jesus we're about to encounter, okay? To set the stage, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem for what will be the final week of his life and ministry here on earth. And so if we would rise in body and spirit as we're able for a reading of God's word found in Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Whoa, right? Wow. Jesus is mad. Oh, my God. Amen? Yeah. You're like, what are you talking about, Scott? What in the world are you getting at? I didn't see anger in there. If you're wondering why in the world I'm reading the scripture and talking about anger, say amen. There we go. It's okay to admit that you're like, did he read the wrong verse? Is this the right passage? It is the right passage. Sometimes there's more than meets the eye. And I bet as you're reading this scripture, you're being reminded of Palm Sundays of years past. I mean, this is the time when the kids are supposed to come through the door waving the palm fronds, singing Hosanna. This is a party, right? This is a day of celebration. This is a day of rejoicing. What what am I talking about? This is Jesus at his angriest. If we read down to verse 11, and it says, Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You know what it could have said? Then he he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, he said, I'm coming back for you tomorrow. Because it was already late. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Hidden in this 11th verse of the 11th chapter, 
is an anger that has developed within Jesus' heart that he will wrestle with the rest of this chapter. It's an anger that I think we need to understand to help understand our own. And I think there's a lot to be learned in the rest of this chapter that we don't always read on Palm Sunday. And so today I want us to read, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Because the God's honest truth is that God gets angry. And understanding why Jesus is angry and what he does with this anger can lead us in a better understanding of our own anger and how it can be harnessed for good. Yes, I said good, church in our lives and in our world. So let's continue, and you don't have to rise for it, because we're going to read the whole chapter today, so don't have to get up and get down every time. It says this, on the following day when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether, peop- whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves For it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. It's in the Bible. Jesus cursed this fig tree. Let's stop there for a second. Whoa. Okay, so Jesus is mad at a fig tree. I want to talk about something for a second. I've been married for almost eight years. I've been married for almost eight years to Reagan, who's also a pastor on staff. And, And married couples or couples who've been together for a substantial length of time, you know that this is true, that over time you get to see not only the really awesome parts of your partner's personality, but you also get to see some of the uglier side too, right? If that's true, say amen. Oh, that was a good one. Um, Reagan has learned something about me that, there, that, that I suffer from a condition that I think plagues billions of people around the world, and it's called hanger. Have you ever heard of hanger? You know anybody who gets hangry in the room? Let me describe it to you. There are times when Reagan and I are in the midst of a conflict where I'm getting really argumentative about something. I'm, I'm getting kind of crotchety. I'm even being kind of a jerk. And she knows that what's wrong is not really the thing that we're talking about. What's wrong is that I'm hungry and my blood sugar's dropped too low and I'm being cranky as a result. I'm getting hangry. And so in those moments, she'll stop me and go, Scott, do you need a snack? Because it turns out I'm really not that different from a toddler, right? I just need my snack, and I'll feel a lot better. And it's true. Some of us get hangry. Is that what's happening to Jesus here in verse 12? Is he looking for breakfast, and this fig tree denies him fruit, and so then he just gets hangry, and he curses it because he's just mad because he's hungry? Is that what's really happening? No. This passage is, is more than just Jesus getting mad at a fig tree. And this poor little fig tree, this poor little fig tree, you know, I think about this fig tree. What did it ever do? You know, it probably got really excited when the Bible was getting to print. It probably told the other fig trees, guess what? I hear I made the cut. I'm in the Bible. And then it must have opened up to chapter 11 and went, oh no, that was Jesus that day. Oh, that must have been embarrassing for this fig tree. What did he do to deserve such harsh treatment? It's not really about a fig tree. This is really a story that's meant to to symbolize what's about to come next. Now, Jesus may very well have cursed a fig tree, but it's not even about the fig tree for Jesus. See, let me explain it this way. Jesus sees this tree, and it's in leaf. It's a fig tree in leaf. And being the amateur botanist that he is, Jesus knows that a fig tree in leaf should be bearing fruit. That's the tree's way of letting you know that it's ripe for the picking. So 
So he approaches this fig tree, this tree that looks healthy, that looks like it should be bearing fruit. It's doing everything the right way from appearances. But as he gets closer, he realizes it's just as barren as any old dead tree. In a moment, Jesus is going to approach a temple. And like the fig tree, the temple looks really good from the outside. And the people within, you could say there's something like a tree themselves. The people within look healthy. They look like fruit-bearing people, but the closer Jesus gets, the closer he looks, he realizes it's just as barren as any old dead tree. So Jesus isn't hangry. There's something more going on here. We keep reading, and it says this. Then Jesus came into Jerusalem. This is the second time he's walked in now. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, and I want to get this tone right because sometimes we forget that Jesus is not just a peaceful little lamb. He said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's mad. And when the chief priests and scribes heard it, I don't know about you, but when I hear Jesus yelling like that, it makes me kind of uncomfortable. Does it make you uncomfortable? Are you feeling a little uncomfortable right now? Well, when the chief priests and scribes heard it, they felt uncomfortable too. They kept looking for a way to kill him, it says, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus' disciples went out of the city. So to understand what's happening here, Mark tells this story very quickly, but he leaves out a lot of important details for us sitting in a church in Dallas 2,000 years later. To understand what's happening here, we have to understand the practices of the temple in Jesus' day. The Jewish tradition was a tradition of offering sacrifice in response to sin. The belief was if, if, you did enough, if you committed enough sin, if you harmed your relationship with God enough, then, then like Abel, you had to bring an animal sacrifice before the Lord as an offering. And the sacrifice had to meet, had to match whatever the level of sin was in your life. And so you can imagine people going to temple carrying this shame and this guilt, wondering if they can be made right with God in this holy place. And there were people coming from all over the world, bringing what little money they had, hoping they could buy a sacrifice and offer it to God to be at peace. And they approach these tables that have these animals sitting there. And these people who are impoverished themselves are saying, I, I need to buy a dove because I know that I've committed so many sins and I need to be made right with God, so I need to buy a dove. And the man sitting at the table says, well, guess what? The price for doves just went up. It's going to cost you 10 times as much as you thought it would. In fact, how much money do you have with you? Oh, you know what? That's how much this dove costs. And who are you to say no? Who are you to turn that down? This is, we're talking about the very grace of God at, at hand's grasp. And, and so what do you do? You hand over whatever meager money you've got. Jesus walks in and he sees a temple profiteering off the backs of the poor and the impoverished and the oppressed. 
He sees these men in power, hungry for power and for money, turning people upside down, shaking them out for every last coin in the name of God. And Jesus is mad. Wouldn't you be mad? Would it be better if we had a savior who walked into the temple on that day, seeing these people riddled with guilt and shame, handing over every last penny to an unjust system? Would it be better if Jesus had walked in and said, oh, someone should do something about that? Is that the savior we want to follow? No. I'll tell you right now, church, if we are here to worship a God who is nice to everybody and always kind and never does anything to make anybody uncomfortable and doesn't speak out when injustices are in the world and doesn't get mad at seeing people pushed down by people in power, if we're going to worship a God like that, I want my money back and I'll find something to do, else to do on a Sunday morning. That is not a savior worth following. Jesus is kind, Jesus is gracious, Jesus is generous, Jesus is peace-filled, but Jesus also sees injustice and gets angry. When you see injustice and your heart is angry, you share the heart of God. Because our God looks at the world and sees that right things are right and wrong things are wrong, and the kingdom of God is no home for injustice. I don't want to go to heaven and find out that poverty and hunger are still real. I don't want to meet God and have God be this passive voice that says, well, what are you going to do? I need a God who gets mad. A God who's willing to turn over tables. A God who's willing to make people uncomfortable. Who's willing to make a mess for the sake of things getting better. I believe that we are called to be peacemakers, church. I believe that the Holy Spirit inspires and enlivens us to make peace in the world around us. But what we need to understand in light of Mark chapter 11 is that sometimes the road to peace is paved by flipping some tables along the way. Here's the good news. Because if you're like me, you're feeling kind of agitated right now. Is anybody a little unsettled? Anybody feeling that anger stir inside your soul? Here's the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave us there. And the story doesn't stop with turning tables in a temple. It goes on to say this. In the morning as they passed by, they saw that same fig tree withered away to its roots. And then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And I want to say to Peter, like, haven't you seen him conquer storms? Why are you so impressed by a fig tree? I'd assume he could handle that, but whatever. Jesus is also kind of confused. He answers them. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And if you do not doubt it in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. But he doesn't stop there. In case you're wondering, oh, anything I ask for in prayer will be mine. Jesus is going to tell us how we should pray. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive. So that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. There's this ancient scholar, he's the, the father of toxicology. 
His name was Paracelsus. And he wrote something that has always kind of stuck with me whenever I read this quote many years ago. It's always kind of stuck with me. I think it's true in our faith too. He said this as he was discovering and learning about poisons. He said, the dose makes the poison. The dose makes the poison. There are substances that in small doses can be healthy for us or can have no effect on us whatsoever. But if you take too much in, it becomes poison for your body. Think anger. The dose makes the poison. A little bit of anger can light a fire in us that is good and spirit-led. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit descends, what does it say? It says this great flame was ignited in everybody's heart. Sometimes anger ignites this fire in us that's very good. It, it inspires us to work for God's kingdom. But too much anger, church, too much anger can consume us like an out-of-control wildfire. Have you ever been consumed by a wildfire? Do you know what that feels like? I do. I know what it's like to go to the funeral for a three-year-old who's died from cancer. Wildfire. I know what it's like to read headlines that make me shake my head and go, how long can evil persist in this world? Wildfire. I even know what it's like, and I don't say this to be funny, I'm being serious. I know what it's like to be driving on Highway 75 and to have some jerk cut me off and to want nothing but death or destruction for that individual in that moment, right? Wildfire. And it's funny, but it's not. We have to wake up and realize that we live in a culture that celebrates and pumps up anger. And this wildfire rages far too often and consumes us far too many days. Out of control anger is like wildfire. Out of controlled anger is only destructive. If we think our lives are just about flipping tables over in temples, we're just making a mess. We're not doing anything productive Spirit-led anger, however, church, is redemptive. Out-of-control anger is destructive. Spirit-led anger is redemptive. Jesus always, always, always pushes us to find the hope and the redemption in every circumstance. Jesus doesn't just allow himself to sit in his anger and just be mad. If that was the case, we would never have gotten to the triumphant conclusion of the Gospels. Imagine if Jesus had just been this guy who kept flipping tables over in temples. What if that's what his life had become about? The Jews had seen this before. They'd been through rebellions. Go read the book of Maccabees. They knew what it was like to have people come in and get mad and, and make a mess and even be violent, and it didn't get them anywhere. Jesus knew there was a better way. Always, always, always looking for the hope and the redemption. He chooses a different path, a spirit-led path towards forgiveness, redemption, and yes, towards peace. Church, I want us to hear this. Jesus doesn't just flip tables and make a mess he builds an open table from the broken pieces. Jesus doesn't just flip tables and make a mess. He builds open tables from the broken pieces. So Jesus has gone into, the, into Jerusalem twice now, and we're going to see how this chapter ends with him walking in a third time. First time he comes in celebrated, but wrongfully so. Celebrated as this rebellious king who will conquer the Romans and lead them into victory, and that's not who Jesus is. And then he comes in a second time, angry, flipping tables in the temple, 
being kicked out by those in power. And now he's going to enter a third time. And he's going to be confronted by those same authorities. And we'll see what he does. Again, they came to Jerusalem, it says, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? They were basically saying, who in the heck do you think you are? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. You know, he never answered questions straightforward, did he? He always asked questions in response. I will, answer, I will ask you one question. Answer me, he says, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? Answer me. They argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he'll say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say of human origin? They were afraid of the crowd. For all regarded John as truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Third time's the charm, right? Jesus comes into Jerusalem the third time. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders are trying to draw Jesus off sides. That's what's happening. This is what they do. They, they understand legalism. So they always ask Jesus these little technical questions. They're trying to trip him up and expose him for a fraud. And Jesus knows this. And he's not going to let them send him into a spiral of out-of-control rage. He knows that they are there simply to annoy him. So he sees them like gnats. He just says, you know, I don't have time for this. Because he's focused. He understands he's not there just to be mad about Pharisees and scribes and elders misusing the temple. He's not just there to be mad about this. This is not just an angry Jesus. This is a courageous Jesus who sees the brokenness, who sees the challenge, who even feels his own anger and steps into that space anyways. Not simply to destroy, but to redeem and rebuild. This is a Jesus who returns to Jerusalem knowing how this is going to end. I want us to recognize this morning that it is Jesus' anger in part that leads him to the cross. How many of us this morning are angry about the reality of death in this world? If that makes you angry, say amen. amen. How many of us are angry that brokenness is a reality in this world? If that makes you angry, say amen. If you are angered by injustice in this world, say amen. Amen. We feel these things, and so often we wonder, what can we do? But Jesus knows what he can do. Yes, he can flip temples, tables. Yes, he can make a mess. He can also get on a cross, offer a universal outpouring of grace and love for every person for all time. Redemption and hope in every circumstance. It's his anger that leads him to the cross because he's angry that these things, death and sin and injustice are winning the day. He's committed to seeing hope and justice and joy and love and peace and redemption win eternity. You know what's interesting? Those studies I mentioned at the beginning, and we're almost done. The studies I mentioned at the beginning of the message, they they were looking for emotional connections to social media. And you know what they found? One of the studies found that actually anger isn't the top motivator. It's close. But they found one that was greater. Do you want to know what it is? What emotion inspires people to interact more than any other? They called it awe and wonder. 
those kinds of moments where you just go, wow. Like when you see an article about a, a new uh, moment of progress in cancer research, and you go, wow, thank God. Or when a grandparent shares the image of a newborn grandbaby, and they just want to go, wow, awe and wonder. Awe and wonder are stronger than even anger. Jesus is in control of his anger, not the other way around. And he chooses to do the work of God, the redemptive work that inspires awe and wonder in the world. In the midst of dark places, Jesus shines a light. Jesus finds a position of courage in the midst of his anger. Can we, can we walk in the same path as Christ? Can we find the courage to flip tables in need of flipping, the courage to build to open tables from broken pieces, the courage to live unhindered by rage-inducing distractions, the courage to follow the Spirit into the redemptive work of God. Church, I don't know what has you angry this morning. I don't. I can't possibly understand. But I do trust that God understands your anger better than I ever could. God knows what it's like to be beaten up, to be harassed, to be abused. God knows what it's like to be insulted, to be bullied. God knows what it's like to be killed. God knows what it's like to grieve the loss of a loved one. God understands our anger in an intimate way, and I trust that God can meet us in our anger and not leave us there and instead inspire us to find the hope and the redemption in every circumstance. Amen.